Welcome to a brand new episode of Release Your Roar. Raw conversations with inspiring guests that dug deep to become a success. Use this episode wisely. Let it activate you and release your roar. Here's your host, author, speaker, executive coach, and founder of Becoming a Lioness and the Ari Source, Crystal de Leon Sarmiento. Hello, Crystal. How are you? Hi! How are you, Davey? Awesome. Doing awesome. What people don't know is we just spent like the last five minutes kind of <laughs> chit-chatting, chit-chatting before yes. we just started recording. Um, but anyways, guys, welcome to Release Your Roar podcast. I am so energized today to have my buddy and friend, Davey Natan. Is that how I say it? Or is it's, it Nathan? You no, know, in Hebrew, it's that. Uh, but in English, it's Nathan. Nathan. Okay, yeah. so how do you prefer to be introduced? Good Davey name. Nathan? Yeah, here it's Nathan. Then David, Davey Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, love, I love that because I was recently studying or learning Hebrew words and teaching myself a little bit of Hebrew and mm -hmm. things like that. And it was to my surprise that you said you're Israeli. And I was like, oh, my God, we can totally... I can tr practice with you, and you're like, yeah, but but no, I don't really go by Natan. So, right, I mean, yeah, Natan means um, Natan is the past tense of give. Oh, so it's like gave, it's like gave, gave something. Yeah. So you prefer Nathan? Yeah, Nathan is just. Uh, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just uh, there's no th in Hebrew. Oh. Yeah. So it's not done. That's right. Interesting. Thank you for the lesson. I'm going to yes, be hanging you. <laughs> I'm learning a little bit. I know that there's no, and there's no vowels either. Um, no, we have like, what, what do they call it? There's like the, those little dots, like under letters. Mm -hmm. And that's like the vowels. That's the vowels. That's so interesting to me. Well, Davey, let me just introduce you to everybody who's watching or listening. Um, Davey Nathan is a songwriter, producer, a pianist, a musical director whose work was considered for a Grammy in 2017. As a producer and songwriter, he's worked with Rodney Darkchild Jerkins, Tony Braxton, Philip Lawrence, quote Bruno Mars album. Is that right? The Bruno Mars album? Um, Philip was Bruno's partner for 10 years so he wrote yeah. songs. wrote the songs okay and then we have mary j blige mm -hmm. that was literally my my childhood which is so funny that i jammed out to the 411 when i was like 10 right but, oh that was my introduction to to hip-hop and soul mm -hmm. jennifer hudson robin thick tamar mm -hmm. braxton kenny babyface edmonds that's another one mm -hmm. queen latifah daya Eric Benet and so many others. Mm -hmm. As a pianist and musical director, he's toured with Christina Aguilera, mm -hmm. Tony Braxton, Patti LaBelle, Kenny Babyface Edmonds, mm -hmm. Colby Calliot, Calais, Calais, Natasha Bedingfield, Nicole Scherzinger, TLC, Sean Kingston, Brian McKnight, Jason Derulo, and none other than my favorite new kids on the block. I mean, who doesn't like 
<laughs> Y'all, if if you know what NKOTB means and know it's not AGADF or all these acronyms, this was the first acronym we were using back in the like 90s, NKOTB. Yes. So I cannot tell you how honored, first of all, that I am to have your time because, you know, you're so busy. And um, I know that it's time is the most valuable thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I want to just explain a little something to those who are just now either tuning in or listening to this or just found this podcast. And they, you know, I get a lot of compliments like what is release your roar? And it's interesting to me because I don't have that like niche that everybody asks me, like, what's your niche? And I'm like, my niche is mental mastery. My niche is people who have done something, whether or not they have a following, but they've accomplished something right. because we all have this innate um, gift mm -hmm. to really use our auto mechanism, which is our subconscious and our and our conscious programming. And really it takes us making forward steps and doing things that get us there. And so it's my hope and it's my goal that by interviewing people and just having raw conversations with people like yourself, we can inspire somebody that's out there to really dig deep and say, you know what, I'm not living the life that I want and really grab hold of what the meaning of becoming your own co-pilot. You are your pilot. You're the pilot of your life. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on destiny and things just happen. And um, in the last you know few years, I've really come to question all of the things that I've been taught mm -hmm. biblically for all my church folks out there. Don't have a heart attack. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. God gave us a brain to explore and to tap into those things that we were created to have. We're the most amazing masterpiece in the universe, I believe. And, um, and without going on too much of a rant, I just want to encourage anybody that's out there. You have a roar, a roar. And most people associate having a roar with the call of the wild or having a call out mm. in the wilderness and a lion roaring, right? But right. what else roars? The sea roars, the waves, when they start moving and they're coming and they're full of that motion, mm -hmm. they roar, they roar a sound. Mm -hmm. And what, I mean, and so I, I do a lot of thinking of like, you know, I really want to hear what people's roar is. What mm. is that? Sometimes it's enough is enough. Sometimes it's, it's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna roar and I'm gonna make this belt out this this inner inner thing that I was created with and make something happen. Right. And so for me, it's such a treat and it's such a privilege to be able to, like I said, have you on and really pull some of those layers back yeah. and um, and talk about that. And I know that you and I, when we're not recording for this and we do have our conversations, they, they tend to be pretty deep. You know, yeah. we tend to have some substance to that. And I, and I felt like it was, it would be an injustice if we can't share that with the world. Yes. Um, and let's, let's see. So tell me, yeah. Dave, tell me. So we were talking about Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your childhood. So we know all the accomplishments you've basically been, you know, what people would call stardom, right? You've been able to accomplish some powerful things in life, but where did that all start? Did that start with an idea? Did it start with somebody speaking to you? Or did you have a dream? I, I always played music 
my mom says that when I was one, I was, uh, I had a, a book of a, like a hundred first songs and she could like point on a page and I would sing the song. Oh. Um, so I was always singing and playing instruments. Uh, there's pictures of me when I was two, I was playing guitar and accordion and piano and drums. And I was just always making music. Wow. Um, my mom used to play piano. She was a concert pianist and her father was a violinist in the Israeli Philharmonic um, for like 40 years or something. And um, so I was always around it, you know? And when I was six, I started taking lessons and uh, very quickly I was, you know, they saw that I was very good at it. And I started giving concerts uh, in Israel um, and I was on TV and radio and stages. And, you know, I was just, that that's what I was doing. Um, wow. Since I was really, really young. And so I'm trying to think, I, I, I never really did anything else. I was never into sports. Mm -hmm. I was never into sports. Um, I, I played video games for a couple of years when I was like nine, you know, like like any other kid. But, but still I like, you know, I think when I was 13, I, I had my first musical mentor. I've always had mentors. Yeah. You know, mm. The first one, and, and after that point, I just became a musician full time and um, just doing it all the time. And then I went to high school, to an arts high school in Israel, and where school would end at like 2 p.m. and we would stay in school till like 8 or 9 p.m. every day, just playing. You know, we had like our music rooms and we would play and everything. And, and I was just always on that path. I, I just always knew that this is what I was gonna do. And and I'm still on that path. Um, but what I was thinking about when, when you were just talking about the roar and all that, I think that my goal was always self-expression. Because um, wow. in self-expression, there's, there's roar too. And right. and my my goal was, to, to be self-expressed uh, to, to the fullest ability, to my fullest ability. Because I think that self-expression also is, um, is on a curve or like a line. You can be a little bit self-expressed or like a lot self-expressed. Mm -hmm. um, so my goal was always to be fully self-expressed. Um, so when I was 13, I discovered jazz and, you know, there's a lot of self-expression in that. And I was writing songs also. Um, when I was 12, 13, I was writing songs. Uh, but then once I discovered jazz, like, and really got into it 14, 15, I stopped writing songs. And uh, I moved to the States when I was 17 and I was deep into jazz and wow. I went to high school for one year in Boston and uh, I, I was like in the, uh, I forget what it was, but like the, I, I was representing the state in like the all-star jazz band or something like that. And I did that and then I, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston and I was deep into jazz and I was playing every night and hanging out with the guys and, you know, and, and listening to the albums till six in the morning. I was just doing all that and um gigging around town i i i basically was gigging for eight years straight like from 18 to 24 years old 
Wow. Every night out there in the clubs or I was playing in a wedding band for six years to, to make money. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was just in, in that life, you know, and yeah. then, um, and that was great. And that was really great. As far as like self-expression, I was feeling like, um, I was feeling great about myself, you know, like playing, I uh, played at this club called Wally's in Boston, which is a, a legendary club. Mm -hmm. um, Quincy Jones writes about it in his autobiography. He used to hang out there in the 50s and 60s. And uh, it's a hole in the wall. It's still there. Unfortunately, it, you know, in COVID times, they're closed now. But uh, they have live music seven nights a week. Um, it's free to get in. It's a hole in the wall. And all musicians know about it. So mm -hmm. every musician that comes to Boston from all over the world, they all stop at Wally's because there's just a, a, a level of musicianship out there wow. in that club that you, you can't find it anywhere else in the world. So I played there for two years and, you know, being fully self-expressed and, and loving it. And um, then when I was 24, I, I had my first tour, actually my 24th birthday, uh, was my first time in LA. I landed in LA on my birthday and I had my first June 25th. June 25th, which I have a, an interesting story about that too. Okay. Um, remind me. Um, but uh, I landed in LA and I met Brian McKnight and that was my first rehearsal with Brian. And, at 24. Uh, at 24, yeah. And uh, I played with him for about a year and a half. And then I moved to LA and I uh, started playing with Tony Braxton and Eric Benet and Patti LaBelle. Um, I'm kind of fast forwarding, but a year later, I moved to Vegas with Tony. We had a show on the strip in Vegas. And that's where I set up my first studio and started writing songs again at 25 years old. Um, so, you know, I, I left songwriting at 12, 13, and I picked it back up at 25. Um, because I think, you know, I, I was playing with artists for a couple of years, touring, and it was great. I mean, playing, you know, Unbreak My Heart with Tony Braxton on stage <laughs> is awesome, you know, and touring the world doing it is awesome. And there's a lot of self-expression there. But after doing it for a while, I, I just felt like I can do more than just this. Mm. You know, there's more that I can do. Did that come from you? from your own inner ability and your own way of yeah i just know that recognize I, that. I just knew that there's more that i can give um, mm -hmm. you know playing with her and and it's it's really a, a, a you know being of service it's a it's a work of service right sure. so i'm i'm in the service industry in a way and and serving her and the audience um, but it, it's really like i'm taking a work of art that someone made at one point and I'm recreating it mm. on stage for the people that are there. That's the job. And so I was like, you know, I can do more and I know that I can be the guy that's creating it originally, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so I think at that moment I, I decided, you know, when we were in Vegas for a few months, I just, you know, I started writing songs and I, I knew that I was going to leave that world, that playing world. Mm -hmm. 
it took me about nine years to do it, <laughs> eight or nine. Leave years. the playing world, not the not the writing songs. By then, you'd already stopped writing songs, but you were playing with Tony Braxton. And yeah. was it Tony Braxton and Brian McKnight for that time, or did well, you? I was, I was around for a year and a half, and then Tony. And then Tony. Uh, okay. And then with Tony, I did two tours, and then we moved to Vegas. So in Vegas, I built a studio and I started writing songs. Uh, so I, I started writing songs again at 25. Wow. Um, so my my big uh, change in my life happened at 34 years old. I'm 40 now. Uh, at 34 years old, um, nine years later is when I completely stopped playing professionally, playing, you know, recreating somebody else's art on stage with the mm. art. So in those nine years, I worked with Tony and... Christina Aguilera and New Kids on the Block every summer and 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 a lot of other people. Um, it, it was just hard for me to to leave that world um, because the money is great yeah. and you know people know you and they call you and there's always another gig and another tour and it just keeps going. Um, so I knew that in order for me to concentrate on writing and production, um, I had to leave it. So it's you know. Yeah. People think that, you know, I'm a musician, mm -hmm. but there's so many ways you can be a musician. There's a million ways. And usually like whatever you are inside the world of music is however people know you as. And so they'll only call you for that. So for example, with Tony, I was her piano player and musical director. So if she needed a new song for her album, she wouldn't call me for that. Because hmm. I wasn't a songwriter to her. Yeah. I was she her, her songwriter. You were her musical director. So she goes yeah. to her songwriters first. They build the song, and then you direct it. And then you come out on stage and you exactly. let that roar, right? You roar right. <laughs> that magical like, art. Just like she wouldn't call her songwriter to play with her live. Exactly. So that was my job. So I had to change people's listening of me. I had to change my my job description. Wow. Uh, which took years. It took a long time and, and it took, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears. And, and it's not something that people usually do. Um, I mean, th th obviously there are people who do one thing and then they morph into something else. Like there's actors that become directors exactly. or become writers or whatever it is. Um, but in my world, in the, uh, the uh, it's called like a side musician, like, a, you know, hired gun musician uh it's it's really hard to leave that world and and going to the to another world writing production so what is the hardest thing because you already had your niche right and so people knew you as the director musical director pianist mm -hmm. um which by the way i think i saw you on a video on stage with tony braxton and you had like four or five different like pianos yeah. or instruments yeah. at one or maybe like three it's like that was with new kids with tony i played piano i just played piano with tony okay and with new kids on the block you did what exactly yeah wow okay and so the, the the hard thing for you was really finding yourself although you were in active service then right mm -hmm. and you were living and expressing yourself to the fullest mm -hmm. that you could. But then at the same time, you realized that you wanted more. You wanted to give more. And so yeah. you 
pivotal, it's like a pivotal thing that doesn't happen easily. It comes with blood, sweat, and tears. It comes with pain. It comes with getting out of our comfort zone, but really understanding that you have what it takes to make that happen. And it seems to me like you, you made it happen. What was that process like of cutting ties with certain people and then opening new doors? Did you have to reinvent who you were and start from the ground up? And was it worth it? Yeah. So I, so let me think. So I was with Tony until in Vegas until 2009. We were in Vegas for three years and then I moved back to LA. And in LA, I was, you know, touring with people. And whenever I was in town, I would write with people um, and just hustle, try to get songs out there. I, I you know, in that period, I probably wrote thousands of songs and um, they all went nowhere. Um, but I, you know, I, I was just in it, just, and, and I looked at it like my side job. Um, my main job was playing piano for artists and being a musical director. And my side job was writing and producing songs. And my goal was always for my side job to be my main job and to leave my main job. Um, so it took about five years from when I moved to LA in 2009. In 2014, I just, I've, I had it. I just couldn't do it anymore. The touring life is really hard. Um, I, I did it for 10 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the playing on stage, that was always fun. Uh, and for me, it was always about playing with a band, not so much the artist. Like those artists, um, you know, Christina and Tony and New Kids, like they get amazing bands. So that's what that's why I wanted to be in the band. I wanted to play with those guys. And so that was always fun. Yeah. Um, but it's the other 23 hours in the day, the traveling, um, the, the lobby calls, the airports, the van rides, the sound checks, all of that. It was just taxing and it was just hard. And it gets old very quickly. You're constantly tired. You sleep, you know, on a bus or in a van or a different hotel room every night. It sounds fun, but, you know, do it for 10 years. It's yeah. a lot. And, and then I saw that if I kept going this way, I would just, you know, dig myself a hole that I couldn't get out of. Because um, I saw musicians that were doing it and were, who were older than me, yeah. that they just couldn't do anything else at, at a certain point once they turned 40 or something. So I was like, I have to get out of this. And also I felt as far as self-expression, I, I felt like I was only using 10% of what I can do. That's powerful though. That is so empowering that you have... Number one, when a lot of people get distracted, right, with the the light, with the stardom, with being mm. around certain people, um, I feel like I don't really get starstruck only because in my 20-year career and dealing with people, I've learned that people are just people, right? And, and the more you get to know them, they really aren't the image that's portrayed and that we worship as fans, right? People are out and about. And you, you begin to, you get disappointed when you find out that the image that you've been portrayed or that you've bought into really isn't that image. And so sure. I feel like um, knowing that you have, first of all, um, the self-awareness 
to be able to see that look, this is a road that's going to end up being destructive or it's going to lead me to nowhere. And having the opportunity and rubbing elbows and being on stage with prominent people like Cristina Aguilera and in KOTB and, you know, all the amazing names that we spoke of earlier, um, it, it says a lot about you and your love for yourself, one. And two, it says a lot about your determination because some people like we have all seen do live a life where they're seeking that next thrill and it really ends nowhere. And then, then what, you know? And so being able to, to take a step back and to take a look at, okay, I've done this, this is fun, but it's not as glamorous as people really make it out to be. And, you know, I think it's funny because when I watch American Idol, which, you know, I, I'm not a powerful singer at all by any means, but, you know, music's in my soul, music's in my blood. I've been singing since I was a child, um, not professionally, but in church, you know, and that was my passion because it was my service to God, right? Like, I'm going to use this for you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not only that, but it's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you either are a singer or you're not. It's either in you or it's not. And so, and when, when I watch American Idol, And I see these young kids that are hilarious. There's two things that I notice. I notice parents that lie to their kids because they let them get that far. And then they're devastated because they really don't have that caliber of talent. Mm -hmm. But it's for a show. The second thing I notice is that there's people that think they want that life. They think that Mm -hmm. they, they want this image that's been portrayed when really it's probably not all it's cut out to be. And so when I sit back and I watch these people who really say it's their dream to travel the world and to sing and to do this and to do that, it's like, okay, that's your dream. But why Mm -hmm. do you really want to be famous for other reasons? Or because do you really feel called to serve the world with your voice? I mean, Cristina Aguilera, Cristina Aguilera should definitely be singing. Like that is a voice that was meant right? Pia Toscano. I mean, these are voices that, which by the way, when she was on American Idol, we were rooting for her because we, we could instantly tell the color of her voice was different than anybody else, but she's too powerful. She doesn't need, you know what I mean? That, that technicality and all the stuff that comes with American Idol. But my point to that, and I'll circle it back around is that I commend you, number one, because you made a difficult decision to seek out your own roar, right? Mm -hmm. To seek it out for yourself and not just, you know, work hard. And it's not as glamorous. And so for those that are listening out there um, that, you know, think that coming to Hollywood and, you know, I can't wait to talk to Urbana because, you know, I I just I love to hear the realism Mm -hmm. that's behind what people think it really is like it's not a, it's not hard it pays well but at what point did you decide did you make those decisions on your own or who did you consult with to where you were like okay I've got to take a step back and, yeah. and do you feel here's the second question to back that up is do you feel like you're still like your number one passion or calling is it is it that symphony of music and producing and writing songs like how are you most expressive right so I think, I think for me, like leaving that world is, um, is akin to somebody that works at an office job for 10 years and they get paid really well, but 
you know, the, the whole experience is just suffering for them. You know, from the moment they get into their car to go yeah. to, to the job, you know, the eight hours later and then drive home, they're just suffering the entire time. So it was just like that for me, you know, it wasn't, I was just not having a good time anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being on stage was fun, uh, but it was only fun because I was playing with my friends. Um, I never really cared about um, playing in front of large audiences. It just like never really did it for me. Because uh, I, I know a lot of musicians, they do. They crave that energy yeah. for the audience and the applause and the roar of the crowd. Never did it for me. Um, and in fact, like once I played in front of 100,000 people, um, it's it wasn't like it's much harder to play in front of 50 people. Um, feel that way, huh? Oh yeah. Um, when you play in front of 100,000 people, you can't really hear anything. You can't hear yourself. You can't hear the band. You're not really making music. It's just about like the, the energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is cool, but it's just not. It's not what I'm in it for. Uh, I'm in it to make great music. And so, like playing at a jazz club in front of 50 people or even 10 people um, is way more challenging. Way more challenging and much more fun. Like I like, I like. Um, like hyper listening, like when everybody on stage is really in it and like playing their asses off and, and all that. So, um, yeah, so playing with the band was fun, but the rest of it just felt like a day job that I was just over it. I was just not into it anymore. So I just had to get out of it. I, I was just miserable. So it, it wasn't like, I don't know if it was self-awareness or anything, but I just noticed that I would get into the taxi to go to the airport and I'm like this again like I, I don't want to be yes. the know? redundant the the media the not the mediocre but the mundane cycle of just going through the motions and where other people are coveting that lifestyle you're just like man it's really not as all cut out to be let me piggyback on that let's um so for instance somebody like me that was in corporate America for 20 years and I decide you know what it's the same thing. I can kind of relate. Like you said, it's that office job. It's that person that's going in every day, every day, every day. And they're self-limiting themselves yeah. because the system that we are so used to has us literally slaves to the salary. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. And um, when I decided to part ways with corporate America, um, you know, I was making a very, very nice salary for somebody in my position and it feels good to know that you got that paycheck coming in and right. but at what cost mm-hmm. right you're always trading yeah. something and exactly. so even though you're getting compensated with cash up front what's the long term cost that i'm costing myself and that i'm costing someone else and at the end of the day there's some people who will agree but entrepreneurship is so hard because yeah. you you work harder. You work harder for yourselves. You wear you wear multiple hats. Yep. Like right now with my leadership company, I'm wearing the hat of like eight people by yep. myself, right? And that's it's not easy. Um, but at the same time, I would rather be doing that for myself. Waking up in the morning, knowing that I don't have to go and be a slave to somebody else. Yes. And that's okay. You know, there's there's those people that that's okay for them, right. but there's people. Sorry to interrupt you, but like you and I, where we decide like, when is enough enough? And when am I going to stop letting this chain really hold me down at the, at the benefit of someone else, someone else, a multimillionaire instead of 
focusing on myself and putting that effort towards helping my pocket book, right? So yeah, especially in the line of work that I was in, um, a lot of times I would have to leave for two months or three or four months mm. on tour. And that means you're living out of your suitcase for that period. That's not fun. Um, and it's hard to sustain relationships and stuff. It's hard to um, to have any kind of normal kind of day, you know. And if you leave town for three months with a Christina Aguilera, for example, um, you come back and you know, not 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 anything against her, but she made millions of dollars during the tour. Yeah, you're looking for the next job, you know. Yeah. Um, so. It, it just was like, it's just not worth it for me, you know, and, and I wanted to wake up in my, my own bed every day and just have like a normal, you know, I want, I like routine, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So let me ask you about that then. So when it's, so when you see yourself and you are, you know, living this lifestyle and you're really making and creating music, um, which is, is a masterpiece, right? But like you said, you are really taking someone else's. At what point do you feel like being on stage and living that life really hurt? And I'm going to go there because that's what the podcast is about. How did that hurt you being able to maximize relationships? I want to say that I remember you mentioning you had, were you married before, I think? I was, yeah. Okay, so that's, Sorry, I'm going to go there. But did that affect that? I mean, I can see, well, I'm going to relate to you in a little bit. So mm -hmm. a couple years ago, I was on a plane every week, every other week um, traveling. And, you know, the same thing. I posted a lot in my my immediate friends who have access to that part of my life were like, oh, my God, how glamorous. You're like in these awesome hotels. You're in L.A. one week. The next week you're in Chicago, which I love Chicago. Chicago's like, you know, I love Chicago. I miss Chicago. But um, I, one of the things that I love about going to all these cities is waking up and going for a jog or going to exercise in the city and, you know, really just doing that. So those are things that I was able to make positive out of my work trips. But it's it's really it's way more glorified than what it is, because every time I left home, it was like my daughter had panic attacks. I had panic attacks. Y'all, I like cried on a plane one time and I had to beg them to stop and let me out. I know. So all the posts were like, oh, she's traveling. But I had to deal with a lot of separation anxiety. And right. um, and so there's that cost is like, yeah, I'm sitting here earning miles and I'm traveling and I'm eating so delicious, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm meeting clients and I'm in my where I operate the best is when I'm in front of people. Mm -hmm. I really that's where I'm in my element is when I'm with people, when I'm speaking, when I'm teaching, when I'm coaching, when I'm training, when I'm doing my thing. But at what cost? And it really after two years of being on a plane constantly, like you said, it gets mundane. It's like. Mm, again, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I want to be on a plane to be in Israel. That's where I want to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I can totally relate to that. And so there's people out there that are like, oh, they glamorize that. Yeah. But and you I think also for, for somebody listening, like if, if they've never done that and they really want to do it, I think they should do it. Um, mm -hmm. they, there are things that you have to get out of your system. True. Um, 
And for me, like I had to get all of that out of my system. I had to do the touring and the stages and like I had to do that. And check that, check it off the box. Like been there, done that, don't need that, don't care for it, what's exactly. next? What's I also thought next? for, uh, there was a short period where I thought like for musicians it, who did, you know, what I did in that world, there's the touring and then like the next level from that is playing on a TV show where you are home every day uh, and you're on TV every day. And, you know, and I thought, you know, maybe that's what I should do. Mm. And I did it for a little bit and I hated it. And so- Really? What did you hate about it specifically? Um, this is a lot. Um, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of like a glorified wedding band. I mean, you're playing 10 seconds of an Earth, Wind & Fire song while they go to commercials. Um, mm. The, the self-expression is not, not, not a lot of it there. Mm. Um, and it's a job and you know, you clock in and out and it, it's, you're also in the service industry. Um, what TV show was this? Um, well, th those, I'm talking about, those are the, the tonight shows. Uh, oh um, yeah. I, I, I worked on X Factor. Oh, okay. For two seasons. Um, and I was uh, playing piano with the contestants and, um, producing them and musical directing and I was on camera and um, it was a lot. It was a lot of work um, mm. and um, I went through, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster going through the show with the contestants. Mm -hmm. and, uh, when I did it, um, the first season in the US there was a contestant, she was 12 years old and um, it was really hard to watch her go through it. And, and oh my goodness. Yeah, she got eliminated in fourth place and that was really hard. And it's just really hard, you know, like. Because you you create these emotional attachments, even though they're contestants, but the producers, I can imagine, see it as this is good music. This is good for TV. I, I spent 10 hours a day with her for months, you know, wow. time with her and, and other contestants too, and her family. And, um, you know, these are a lot of, the people that were on that show and, and and on a lot of those shows, they've never sang in front of anybody except for their family and maybe their church. Yeah. And on X Factor, now they're on live television, which I've done live television with superstars who freak out before or like are really nervous before. Live television really? is not easy to do. Tell um, me why. Why is that not easy to do? I mean, just knowing that there's, you know, 10 million people watching and you only get one chance and it's live. You can't and redo it. Yeah. You make mistakes. And the camera sees everything. It's not like a concert where, yeah, a concert is live, but it's only to the people there. It's a different thing. Television is, is just yeah. more, you know, um, you can see more. It's more accurate. It's not like a live concert. Um, so to put 15, 16, 18-year-olds on live television, Gosh. it's hard. <laughs> That that must be difficult, number one, too, because I can totally see where we live in an age where we can use our phones to video and edit mm -hmm. and record. And it's it's sad because we live in an age where everything is filtered, mm -hmm. right? And um, whenever we have that, I can just say that if I was put on a stage and they're like, okay, go, no mistakes mm -hmm. allowed, this is it, right. Right. you know, anybody. And, and I think that that's... Number one, it's human. It, yeah. it humanizes the big superstars. But at the same time, I can totally relate. And then you're 15, 16. 
But you know what? I bet that after they're done with that experience, these people have some character to them, like some real yummy character, because going through something like that, it's probably devastating. It'll probably be traumatic, but it'll either make or break them. And I know that is so cliche, but it's true. But it's true. You know, I remember um, watching, you know, in the earlier years, there was a few seasons where I was super turned off by the mediocrity and the, you know, of, of these these shows. Right. And it just as as a, as somebody that, you know, you can hear right off the bat, you either have the ear for who can sing and who can't. And you can just tell when they let certain contestants make it so far for TV. Right. And and I think that, and I, this isn't to offend anybody, but I think that the normal person that doesn't really have that inkling for music, um, that is just sees it as a show, sees it as a production, there, there's definitely something to be said for that. But at the same time, you have people like yourself that you're super trained. You can hear that voice. You can hear right away. Do they have it? Do they not? And I bet that's hard if they give somebody to work with you and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. But what's also hard, I mean, you know, I've had experiences where you work with somebody and they're amazing. You know, we rehearsed the song a million times and then, um, you know, they put them on a stage and the stage is empty and it's just me on piano on the side. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, go center stage. And then here's the cameras, sing, and you get one chance to do it. Um, wow. You know, whereas if if they if if they had like two or three songs that they could sing before, just to warm themselves up to the stage and the sound and the lights and the cameras and the microphone and the it it would go a lot better. But because I they warm, yeah, with music you have to kind of warm up to the stage that you're on. You can't just yeah. go and do it like. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, I agree. I agree. Those, I agree. Those, those one shot live television things are, you know, it's a lot. And, and, and for me, as far as a job, I didn't enjoy it because again, I was only playing somebody else's music. You know, there was no writing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I felt like I wasn't being self-expressed. I was again, uh, being of service to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't it either. That wasn't it. So tell me about that. Let's let me ex- let's explore that a little bit. I'm so interested. I know that anybody that's listening to this wants to know. So you did that. You did what you thought was what you wanted to do. And I feel like whether you're working with celebrities or not, like the day to day person, right? You just have to try it. There's college kids out there that think that they want to go for that career. Right. They do it. And they check it off the box and they're like, yeah, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah. And they end up being entrepreneurs and something completely different. And yeah. it's not to say that they didn't learn something from that experience. It's just you learn, you live and learn, right? Like yeah, you learn really like, and you got to get it out of your system. And But as far as you, like when we say, or when I hear you say that, like that wasn't it. Right. Are you there now? Are you, can you say yeah. you're there? Oh. Like. So, there. So tell me about that. Yes. I- it took a long time. Okay. Um, so in 2014, I stopped playing and um, I just said no to tours. I, I stopped playing for Tony after 10 years. 
2014. 2014. Yeah, I was 34 years old. Um, and I think for about two years, I was still getting calls, you know, for tours or for shows or, and I was just like, no. And, and I remember what I did was um, I had my keyboards that I, you know, would play gigs on and I sold them. And I had a car that could fit all the keyboards and I sold that car too. <laughs> you made it to where you didn't have what it takes. Yeah, I didn't have the tools to do the jobs. Wow. I got a car that was a two seater. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I can't put keyboards in it. I, you know, so yeah. And then the first year, the first nine months were kind of tough. Okay. Um, I was, you know, I was writing and producing, uh, but it was all like, you know, I don't want to say like amateurish. It was, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't writing for Beyonce or something like that. I, I, I hadn't sold any songs. Mm -hmm. um, it was still a side job. I had a little bit of money left, you know, saved up and I was making a little money here and there from producing, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, it wasn't great. And I had a lot of days where, you know, I didn't know what to do. And cause also like for me, um, I learned about myself. I don't really like working by myself. I think like you, I like working with people. You're a people person. Yeah. I like working with people. I like making music with people, even if it's one other person sitting on the couch. Um, but I like partnerships. Um, I just really thrive in them. And, um, I just enjoyed more if I'm, if I'm just like sitting here by myself now it's a little different because I've grown into it but uh back then I just couldn't sit by myself and make music so mm -hmm. there's the people who, who operate good like that and then there's people like you and I that we have to be connected whether it's virtually but somewhere like I feel like mm -hmm. in order to be creative like you got to have somebody to 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 you know yeah, yeah, and some people just yeah. need to to lock themselves in a room by themselves, and mm -hmm. they come out two years later, and you know they write symphonies. There's that kind of person too. <laughs> it's just um, so the first nine months were were tough because I wasn't working with a lot of people. I wasn't getting a lot of calls, and um, and then I got a call from a super producer person, oh. uh, a person that I would say like like, you know, definitely one of my idols when I was in college in 2000, 2001, like we, like my friends and I were idolizing this guy mm. and I from him. And he uh, called you the guy that, he, wow. Yeah. And uh, his name is Rodney Jerkins and he's, oh, a yeah. um, he is known for um, producing Michael Jackson's last album oh, in, wow. in uh, 2001. He spent three years with Michael and, um, so he did that. And, and at the time, Rodney was like 21 or 22, he was very young. And uh, after that, ever since he like, he's had huge hits with Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Beyonce, Justin Bieber, and many, many people. Yeah. And so he calls me up, you know, he somehow, you know, he found me. And um, uh, it's interesting because when he called me, that was after nine months of not doing much. And I was going to take a trip. I wanted to go to India. Mm. I wanted to, my, I have twin brothers and they both spent months in India backpacking and I always wanted to do it. And um, nothing was going on here. And I was like, I'm just going to go. 
for like a few months, three, four months. And I got my passport renewed. I got my shots. I had my flight. Like I knew which flights I wanted to get. It wasn't booked yet. And then he called, Rodney called. And when Rodney calls, you're not gonna like say no. <laughs> yeah, well he called just to come work on something that day. You oh, know? like and drop what you're doing. Are you available now? Yes. Okay. And I went and we worked on something. I, I was there for nine or 10 hours at his house. And at the end of it, I took him outside and I said, look, uh, I'm planning on going to India in two weeks. Um, so I can be here every day for the next two weeks and then I'll be gone for a couple of months. It was like November, December, the industry is down. I said, I'll be back in January. I want to, I want to be here full time. He said, great, let's do that. And so I was there for two weeks and I never, never went to India. Uh, I ended up being there for a year every day what? Up, up in his house, um, which was, was everything that you made it out to be honestly like yeah yeah and more and I mean, more wow. yeah, just watching a master a master at his craft um you know he's been doing it for 25 years on the highest level and and just watching how he approaches songwriting and production working with singers working with writers working with artists working with directors we worked on a tv show on a couple of tv shows mm -hmm. we worked on empire we did a bunch of songs for that. Oh yeah, I saw that. Um, so just soaking all of it up was uh, the best school I could have asked for. I mean, you, you can't pay for that kind of education. Do you and attribute that to like you putting that out into the universe that that was your idol and that you somehow in your heart maybe spoke that or do you attribute that to all your hard work and, and just the way the ripple effect works where you sow a seed and it will come back to you if you work and do things the right way. I mean, what do you attribute that to? I don't know what I attribute that to. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, I think things are pretty random and that that's just one of those things. Uh, I think that it was right place, right time. Um, the way that it happened, I, I had a little apartment in Van Nuys uh, oh. and which is not a great part of town and, and my, <laughs> neighbor was a songwriter and she she's awesome and um we would go to the gym together and her girlfriend worked for rodney and so one day her girlfriend calls her and he said rodney is looking for a piano player who went to berkeley that Ooh, was how specific though that's not like i need somebody that can just yeah he wanted somebody that went to berkeley i think he you know berkeley has uh, reputation of you know musicians who are they know harmony and theory and you know knowledgeable musicians and he was just looking for a piano player that went there High caliber. So, yeah so she called my neighbor and my neighbor was like oh call Davies he played with everybody and that's so that's how it happened um I have a lot of idols that I have not gotten a call from yet uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay well well yeah. If we, if you, if you, you know, this show has been known to make those things happen. So the last guy that was on here says he's a, he was, um, his name is Anthony and he actually is, um, a dancer for TLC mm -hmm. and for other people. He's been with Katy Perry, you know, Nicki Minaj and all them. And so I asked him, who is the one person that you want to dance with? And he mm -hmm. said, JLo. I said, okay, so let's put that in the universe. Right. And when that happens, 
let release your roar and your girl right. here, Crystal, know. I want to be the first to know. So That's I'm going to turn it on you. Who's the one person just or two one. that you consider idols you haven't worked with yet? I mean, Rodney Jerkins is is pretty high up there. Like, I don't know, man. Who else can top just, Rodney just Jerkins? One. I mean, just one person. Oh, I'm losing you. Can you hear me? You there? Yeah, I'm oh, here. Can yeah, I I can barely hear you. Let's see, maybe refresh your browser and it'll let you back in. Okay. Okay, we're having a, that's the beauty. There you are. I see you now and hear you. You there? Oh, I lost him. Okay, so that's the beauty of having, um, to being able to podcast with somebody across the United States live. And so we use a broadcasting tool that allows them back in. And here we are. He's back. Can you hear me? There you are. You, sir. Okay. Um, I was saying just one person. Well, you don't have to say one, but if we, yeah, I want to know who your idols are. I mean, Rodney Durkins, like you said, he he's accredited for Michael Jackson's album. I mean, that's like, who else? Tell Goodness. I, mean, I, I would say the 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 two the two like ultimate uh for me would be Kanye West and Pharrell. Oh my god, really? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that. So Kanye West, um I look, this guy, I've never been into his fashion. I think it's a little far-fetched. It's definitely on another level. Um but it is something that has been said is that he is a musical genius, right? But when you look and you peel back some of those layers to 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 who he is, why do you want to work with him? Because he's so out of the box or because of what he's already accomplished? I just want to make music with him. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's like he's going to make music. <laughs> That's it. Wow. Uh, I don't know much about apparel. Uh, I guess he's really good at it. But, Neither do I. I don't. I could care less. I just know he signed. Kanye just signed with Gap. I think, and their like stock went up like forty percent or something crazy right. overnight. And he hasn't even designed anything with them. But right. everything the man touches does turn to gold. I just want to make music with him. You I, just want to like have a jam session with Kanye and just make music. No, or just I want to write a song or you know work on a project with him. Uh, be in the studio with him. I just want. That's be awesome. Uh, he's one of the, I mean, he's taken, I mean, I could talk about Kanye for a long time, but, mm -hmm. uh, just how he is in the studio and what he's added to recorded music and his studio techniques and stuff. I, I just, mm. the man is very knowledgeable around the um, recording studio. Have you heard or have you paid much attention to his gospel albums that came out? Oh, yeah. I actually oh. went to the Calabasas church. Did you? Uh, mm -hmm. For, uh, I think it was, I don't remember when it was, but it was like the sixth or seventh service that they had. When it mm. was, when it first started, nobody really knew about it. Um, you know, everybody in the band is my friends. I, I know, you know, pretty much when I watch anything, like I know all the musicians. You know everybody. Up. That's mm -hmm. how I feel like in the church, in the church industry here in Houston. Like you go to Lakewood, I'm like, that's my friend. I know that person. Oh, that's my friend. Right. Uh, in the so, church, in the church, in the church world, not Hollywood, but yeah. 
Right. So in so as far as bands, you know, I know everybody and uh, mm -hmm. the percussionist uh, was a friend because it, it was all uh, it was invite only. Oh, uh, it was invite only for the first few months. And um, I mean, it might still be invite only. And hmm. and it was in his Calabasas office. Mm. And it was incredible. It was just incredible. Uh, this is way before the album and way before they he that he took it on the road um it was the the beginnings of it when they were just figuring out what this mm -hmm. was. and i remember i i went there and uh you know i had to wait in line and sign all these ndas and stuff and then uh you walk in and he's right there at the door greeting everyone shaking everyone's hand that's awesome, man. That is so awesome. It's awesome. And 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 then you walk into the circular room. That uh, is and I want to talk about that. You know, the colors were really cool and the Kardashians are sitting right there. And mm -hmm. and then it was about an hour of music. It was just music. Um and it was incredible. Oh my god. I believe so. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a little bit here. I think it is fascinating to me that you have worked with gospel singers and that being Israeli mm -hmm. um, with, you know, being a Hebrew in, in your culture, mm -hmm. that you have such an expansive resume working with gospel, soulful music. And, mm -hmm. and you mentioned jazz, but I also know that it's it just, it intrigues me. And I think it's different because for me, music is an act of expression, like you said, mm -hmm. um, but it's also an act of worship to the creator of the universe for me. Mm -hmm. I've read that there's um, string theory and there's theories out there that when you put music into the world, it never disappears. It literally is out there. And there's so many fascinating things when you talk about physics and you talk about um, music and sound waves and, and all the stuff that comes along with it. But I feel like when there's something to be said, when you get in a corporate anointing, as we would call it, where a lot of people are together and you're in unison singing or worshiping or singing on another level and not just singing to sing to impress somebody talking about someone's badunkadunk. You know what I mean? Like you're singing to elevate, to, to take something out of you. And so I can, I, I, I just, I'm shocked and I'm fascinated at the same time at your expansive experience with this. But at the same time, you also have a disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're connected to the music. I believe you you probably exude music like you were created with a ball of energy like you're just a creative conundrum of music. But at what point does it become just music and and or do you appreciate the art of of gospel and worship? And how does it feel to be in a church setting like that and to not do you are you moved spiritually? Hmm. That's a hard one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm moved by good music. Um, is it the sound that moves you? Is it the is it the melodies, the harmonies, the combination, the symphony the of content. all of it together? It's the content. It's the content. Okay. Yeah. So to you, 
you can hear the sound, but if the words are empowering, um, it also motivates you. But but there's really no actual like something inside word. Do you cry? Do you ever cry when you hear music? Uh, I I'm capable of it. Sure, you're capable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I experience music differently than than, uh, and I think all musicians do than than people who are not musicians. Um, Tell me about that. How do you experience music? It's hard to describe even because, you know, I do it every day, all day, and I've been doing it, you know, since I was five. So it's a different kind of experience. Um, so it's more for, can, is it safe to say that music has become a work for you? That no, you really, it's not, it's not, it's still a love and a passion for it? Sorry, yeah. mm. But, Hmm. I don't know what would be like when we go to a museum and we, we look at some, we look at a painting, like we just, as, as non-painters, we're just like, Oh, I like this, or I don't like this, or this makes me feel something or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Whereas a painter, somebody who's, you know, this is what they do. They see so many layers and levels to it. And you know, the whole, yeah. they know if they know the whole history of the, the world of art and painting, they see all the references and, um, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, where I don't, I just see you a painting and I just react to it or I don't. So same with music. When I hear music, I hear, like when I listen to, like my, my all time favorite artist of all times is Miles Davis. And oh, I, you I, just have such an old soul. That's what that <laughs> is, like you, Oh my gosh, keep going, sorry. When, when I listen to Miles, like I hear the history of music in his mm. notes, where a, a non-musician will not hear that. Um, but every note, note has a function and there's a meaning behind it. And just like in a painting, um, totally. you know, every, everything has a function and meaning behind it. So There's a history there that's appreciated oh, because yeah. you as a fellow musician know that to get to that part, you have to work through that and create and build and add and layer and texture instead of just hearing sound. That's yes, just exactly. ridiculous. So I see all the layers. I mean, I don't know if all of them, but I see whatever layers I see with my history and experience. Um, you know, it, so I, I hear music differently, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I know like when I was in school, in college, uh, I remember um, I was transcribing solos. So transcribing means like you listen to, you know, a Miles Davis solo and you learn how to play it. Like, so you oh. transcribe it from the record. Mm -hmm. And once you do that a lot, your listening actually opens up. It actually, you experience your listening opening up. Mm. And now when you're listening to any other kind of solos or jazz, like, you just hear it completely differently. So I know the experience of, of my hearing expanding, um, wow. which is something that musicians uh, experience. And, and hopefully the more you dig and study, the more your listening expands. Because, um, you know, I, I think they told it, somebody told me this in college, I don't remember, but um, musicians like make music and, you know, they play their instruments or they create music. But the first thing that you do as a musician is, is you listen. And yeah. listening is its own 
instrument in a way is is its it own. It is. You know, it's is it's it's its own um, craft mm. that you can get better at. Um, so that's something that somebody who's not a musician they never work on that craft. They just listen to music and they either and absorb it. Yeah, they just absorb it and it's just like however they make it makes them feel, which is I think what music should do. You know, because most people are not musicians, but musicians just experience it differently. You know, I feel like um, when when I was singing in the church and I went to music school for a brief time to, you know, to learn vocal technique and other things like that. Um, there's something to be said. Obviously, this is not as high a level what you're saying, but pitch. And I learned that one of the most fascinating things is when you hear certain sounds, some people like myself can identify a color. Right, different right. sound, like the color of music, which oh, that's interesting. Not the sound of music, but the color, like sure, sure. and and I like to describe like when I I annoy my family, right? Because we'll go into a live production, and I think that's one of the benefits of of singing in church and being part of a big big choir, but also leading the band and leading the worship and having experience of being live, right? is you learn to hear, like you said, to expand on that listening. Like I hate going into a stadium where the sound guys are off. Like you can just tell, and that comes with experience, right? Of hearing the blending and hearing the music, but I don't want to get off track of what you're saying about the experience of it. I just want to reiterate that there's definitely something to be said when we can hear music and musicians can I feel like we can layer. I'm not a musician. I don't play an instrument. My instrument is my voice. I talk too damn much. That's my problem. But <laughs> but um, but I know that the listening part, having the ear for music is not something you can teach. It's natural. You either have the ear or you don't. And, um, and I feel like that is something that I can relate to. And what is so funny, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say something here. Before we knew that Philip had anything to do with the Bruno Mars album, 24 Karat Gold, we, me and my husband didn't know, but my daughter really liked the song. So I downloaded the album and I normally don't download an album, but I heard every song of that album. And I told my husband, I said, that's going to win. That's going to win. That's going to be the, the Grammy of the year. Mm -hmm. He's like, whatever. You think you know what I'm like? I'm telling you, I can hear it. That is a winner. That is going to be. And sure enough, how many Grammys? Right. Five or six? Nine? Did you say nine? No, I think oh, five or six. Five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's not to like say that I'm all this or I'm a, like a genius like you, but it goes to show that if you have the ear for something, you can, you know, you know right off the bat, although there's other production and things that go into that. And there's something to be said for being able to hear and being able to hear a difference and a sound that's not the same as everybody else. And that obviously is big, big production, right? That whole album is a huge production and certain sounds and beats that, you know, go all in. But, but I feel like when you can take the time to listen. And another thing that I love is, is live music. Like you said earlier, being in, a, in an intimate room with 40, 50 people playing an instrument and hearing that like, I love being at the bars in Nashville and Austin and hearing that raw, that rawness of the artist and the guitar player whose freaking fingers are like mush because they play so much. And just hearing that, like that, that is an art. And I feel like my belief, 
I believe it's a gift from God. What would this world be if we didn't have sound, if we didn't have music, if we didn't have the symphonies and, and all the different textures and layers of sound? Like, how tragic. I think that's what hell, if, if hell even existed, I truly believe that hell probably has no sound. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Just terrible. Or candy. What'd you say? Or candy. Or candy. <laughs> <laughs> or candy Ooh, that'd be terrible but but for you keep keep telling me about your your ear for that i mean being able to hear sound and work with certain people and your appreciation for it hmm um well when i started producing and and you know producing uh more you know in depth um i i really got an appreciation for for tone mm. um, tone is everything in in production um because for example i can you know i can play piano on a song but i can mic it in a 50 different ways and yeah. manipulate it in a million ways and and so not every piano is a piano at the end of the day you hear just a piano on the record but um there's a lot that went into it to get that specific piano sound mm -hmm. and with drums you know there's just like drums but then on record you can have the drum sound like this or like that and there's a million different ways the drums can sound so um that that is the job of the producer and and i and i knew that but i didn't know you know the how deep it goes and um you know again being under Rodney Jerkins for, for a year really, really helped and showed me, you know, he showed me how he does it and uh, how he picks sounds, what makes a great producer. Mm. Um, so I, I opened my ear for that. And then, you know, I, I go and listen to albums and I hear them completely differently because I listen to the choices that the producer made. You're listening as an artist, as a musician, and not so much as just somebody that's absorbing an awesome sound to, to drop it like it's hot to. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and hence the, uh, you know, the uh, appreciation for Kanye's music because he's, he's just one of the best in our times at doing that, at putting sounds together in songs and, the beats. Uh, and Pharrell. I, I also mentioned Pharrell uh, is also another one that it's just, he's so good at what he does um, that, uh, yeah, those two, I would say are, are my, you know my my idols uh there's also babyface and uh um, oh, i love babyface I, baby I, I worked with him uh i played with him i was in his band not in his band but i i did a few shows with him and uh i got to write a few songs with him too so i uh spent some time in the studio with him also which was awesome that's you know i went to see babyface and i think he was on tour he was on tour with voice to men hmm. um six years ago here in houston and I just, you know, I grew up listening to Babyface and mm -hmm. Mary J. Blige. And like, that was literally like my introduction to, to good music, if you will. Before yeah. I got introduced to true gospel, which I believe the most powerful gospel music are choirs. I mean, you got to have that big belty sound, right? But I feel like there's something so beautiful when you have the harmonies of the choirs. But anyway, back to Babyface. Um, I saw him and I saw um, Boys to Men, which was down to, I think, four, three out of the four, I think. Um, were you on tour with them then as well? No, that was, I probably had left at that point. I was, 
with Babyface when he was with Tony. He did, mm -hmm. uh, he did a few tours with Tony. I saw a picture on your Instagram of you with both of them. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. awesome. So tell me something about this. So let's just, so I want to, I want to ask you more only because I'm so intrigued when I heard Kanye's album, the songs are like a minute long, mm. um, but, but when you hear his gospel, like the tones are so different, like, like they, and they even like, it's so out of this world because it's not like the traditional song layout of like the loop, the hook, the loop or whatever you guys call it. I'm not a professional, but I could tell there's something different. And sometimes it takes them accust getting accustomed to when people change what you've been brainwashed or have been fed forever, this method of like, boom 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 and his are a little different yeah. do you think that that actually helps him or does it hurt him because he's really challenging the system and changing like is that something that you are on board with as a oh yeah i mean artist? I think, yeah i think he's been uh he's always done he's always followed his gut he's always done whatever he thinks is right mm-hmm which is a true artist and i think he's always been at least 10 years ahead of of everyone um wow. starting with i mean again i told you i could talk about kanye for a long time but uh <laughs> heartbreaks uh you know we wouldn't have uh modern radio without that album we wouldn't have drake without that album we yeah weekend without that album um yeah. and then jesus in 2013 i think uh, I think culture hasn't even started dissecting that album yet and what's going on on it. Um, and, and it, 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 um, Yeezus has a lot of that short songs, songs that don't have a traditional song form, yeah. uh, songs that change sonically within mm. one song. They just go to different Boom. parts. Yeah. Um, and so I think, um, his gospel music is just a continuation of that. Um, also, the next album after Jesus was Life of Pablo was also oh, that. Uh -huh. um, so there is, if you follow Kanye from late registration from his first album, uh, there's a there's a line there, you know, that he's continuing. Uh, yeah. and I, I've been following since, since 2004. So um, I, I'm just along for the journey and, and, you know, yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me to hear that you were following him and um, that you literally have a goal and you're not afraid to say like, that's what I want to work with. I believe that the fact that you've worked already with, you know, the people that you've worked with, I feel like it's going to happen for you. It's not if it's when you're there definitely you working there. So we've got about five minutes left before we have to wrap up this first of hopefully another interview with you because we have so much to cover and so much more. And it's just really hard to pull back some of those layers um, in a short interview. Um, but talk to me about your new production coming out, Jingle Jangle on Netflix. I know that's hitting, that's dropping here soon. So yes, November 13th. Um, I'll, I'll tell it quickly. Um, I started working on this movie two and a half years ago. Um, okay. Again, with my whole journey, I never thought I would be making movies. I never thought I would be working on musicals. Um, but when I was young, my mom would always take us to musicals, to like live. I love musicals, yes. So I kind of grew up uh, watching them. I was never like really deep into them uh, mm -hmm. in, 
you know, I liked what I liked and stuff and I would see, you know, throughout the years, but it was never like, like I know people who are like, that's their thing is music. Yes. Um, but uh, two and a half years ago, uh, Philip Lawrence, my writing partner and I, we got a call um, and uh, the project was a movie musical for Netflix. It's Netflix's first live action movie. That's amazing. Movie. And you get to, and you got to produce that with Netflix. Well, we got a, a chance. We got an opportunity to pitch a song, to write a song for it. It starts with one song. And so we wrote a song. Uh, that song actually got us the gig and got the movie greenlit. The Netflix heard the song was like, okay, let's, it's let's go. Start. Yeah. And so that started a two and a half year journey for us. Um, we, in the song, there's nine songs in the movie. There's nine songs. Okay. Uh, we wrote, we wrote eight of them. Uh, okay. John Legend wrote one. John Legend uh, wrote one, right? Did he write that alone or did he write that with Philip? He wrote it alone. He wrote it alone. Okay. Uh, okay. We produced it. Um, we produced it, okay. So we produced all nine songs. Uh, we wrote about 30 songs. Okay. Uh, and ended up with eight. And um, I lived in London last year for four months uh, working on the movie, uh, working with the cast and being in the studio with them. I was on set. Uh, for a few days um yeah. yeah it was a really really long process and um really amazing to watch you know coming from the touring world I, like i know what putting a huge tour is like you know with new kids yeah. in the block and, yeah. and semi trailers and all that a movie is a completely different game you know it's totally way, way bigger and um this this size of a movie and so we're so excited for it to come out. It's coming out. November I'm excited. Um, I'm really curious to how people react to it. I know that it was translated to 32 languages already. And wow. um, yeah, Jingle That's Jangle. crazy. So Jingle Jangle, it drops November, November 13th on Netflix. And we will be sure to let all of our listeners know to, to go and watch this. I'm, I turned yes. my Netflix subscription back on for you <laughs> and for Jingle Jangle. So thank you so much, Davey. I, I cannot thank you so much for your the time, for being such a genuine soul and connecting when it comes to music and letting everybody know that your roar, you, you finally made a decision to follow your roar and yes. you're really living the life, a limitless life right now because you made that happen. So my Thanks. love... Big love to you. Thank you so much. Big, big hug. And we'll be connecting here soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Davey. Have a good day. We'll be talking. Bye-bye. This was another episode of Release Your Roar. Do you know someone who has a story to share? Connect with Crystal at becomingalioness.org. Send us love and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. This was Release Your Roar.